We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Coming at you Thursday morning after the Timberwolves beat the Denver Nuggets 124 to 107 in Denver. I'm still here in Denver. I'm joined over Zoom by Britt Robson of Mint Post. Yesterday, Britt wrote a piece on Jared Vanderbilt and kind of how he's been emblematic of this team. I think he was emblematic of the Timberwolves in their win last night over the nuggets but Britt, let's start by let's just start by talking about that game which was as dominant of a performance by this Timberwolves team as we've seen I think all year. I would agree with that. I think that um Denver at home with Jokic in his groove despite the fact they have some huge personnel losses um are an extremely confident team. I think beating Denver in Denver um, is is no easy feat. And I think that um, it required, you know, I would say probably the greatest three-point shooting performance I've ever seen the Timberwolves have. I don't know if it's, did it set a team record? It wasn't a team record in terms, I think the record was was 26 makes in a game. Remember it was the, the team record for makes made threes in a game was that very first game after Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez got here. Oh, yeah. You remember that right. right after the trade deadline? Yeah, that was, and that was actually quite an explosion as well. I think what made that a little bit different was that, I mean, D'Lo didn't even play in that game. They had right. Cat. Uh, uh, they didn't have Covington anymore. It was like a, a bereft team. And the Clippers, I think they even had Kawhi, but they just didn't seem like the Clippers. Whereas Denver, I think, did their thing last night. I mean, they have guys who, you know, Aaron Gordon had an off night, which may or may not have something to do with Vando. I don't know. But I do think that um, – I think Denver was a more formidable opponent and the Wolves were more iconic in their performances. Uh, totally. As I as I said uh, <laughs> on Twitter and then subsequently got into spats with a variety of people who just don't appreciate my absence of sentimentality – that I really don't give a shit about uh, milestones and, uh, you know, 10,000 points, 2,000 points, whatever obscure factoid Dave Benz wants to pull up. All that stuff is just, um, it doesn't matter much to me. And uh, that seemed to offend a lot of people, much to my uh, first ire and then amusement. 
It was interesting how much Cat embraced it after the game. Very much. But that's kind of in keeping. Yeah. It, I, I hadn't really thought of it, and I don't know how accurate all of what he said was, but it kind of it kind of checked out with me in my head where he was like, you know, I've had a lot of success. He was like, frankly, I think I've been pretty dominant for most of my career offensively, but there haven't really been like milestones where he goes, I don't feel like I've ever really been celebrated. I know that sounds kind of like highfalutin or whatever, but he it didn't in person. It didn't really come off as that. No, it was very genuine. I think it, it, it was, and I thought it. Was, I thought that was interesting. And I don't care about milestones either, but kind of hearing him talk about it and the fact that he did care, and that it was kind of emblematic of this team embracing him. Uh, right. It it felt important. I think we just we get caught up in this like the game by game nature of our jobs, right? And following this team. And you, you know what I mean? And we kind of lose sight sometimes on a little bit of the of the bigger picture. And and really in these press conferences so much, it's, you know, Ant's kind of like called it like it is in these post games. Right. And I think for some people who kind of like, you know, just talking to some people people in Denver, they're like, oh, are like Ant and Cat cool? I'm like, yes, Ant and Cat are cool. Like you're just seeing these little like hot Ant quotes that show up on on Twitter but it just does really go up and down in these press conferences I mean I think was the fifth game of the losing streak was as frustrated as I can remember Cat being really at right. any post game press conference and then not like, only frustrated but despondent yeah right it was it was different and then last night he was he was pumped and it was like a really fun environment in this little tiny press conference room we were in like Ant was there watching Cat's press conference and yeah it, it's it's just funny how the vibes of this team kind of shift it almost in a bad way where they like like okay at the same time like only two game winning streak like kind of pump the brakes but they they do they fall into whatever like the vibe of the moment is with this team and you know sometimes those vibes have been good right now is a good one i uh, you know that i've been you know fairly critical of cat most of his career um but I would argue Dude, he was that so good last night. He was so good. Not only that, but I think his perspective on himself and on his team and on his role on the team are light years ahead of what he regarded as what was important, what was good for him to do, how to respond to teammates doing what they do. The maturity that he has shown now that he's kind of shaken off this grief that enshrouded him for, you know, almost two years um, and having two very, very different co-stars, you know, this young kid who's just incredibly brash and incredibly inconsistent, but the highs are, are phenomenal and the lows are kind of, uh, placeholder type things where you just have to wait for the maturity to happen. And then this other guy who's, you know, good friends of his, uh, who's a more enigmatic dude, um, but has his back obviously in big moments. Um, I just think, and, and Finch, I, I mean, I don't think you can leave Finch out of this chemistry equation. I think he's a straight talker who, um, thinks outside the box and is in many respects a player's coach who gives players as much freedom as they can handle. 
I think all of those things augur well for this team. I've been high on this team all season. Um, Is this your favorite just, team you've ever covered? It's really hard to get past 0304 just because it was the first year with Spree and Cassell. They went to the conference finals. Fred Hoiberg was like the ideal role player. KG was so happy. Irvin Johnson played out of his rear end. Uh, you know, uh, that was a great team. Um, but I would say that this is my favorite team probably since then. Yeah. I, I think it seems probably, like it. I mean, yeah. this I is really the, like them. Yeah. I, I just like the team. I, I mean, I love the tone Pat Bev sends. I love, uh, oh, I'm a defense guy. And they, they are, when the Wolves are winning, they are turning other teams, they're turning good offenses into foils for their own momentum. Um, that right. is so much fun to watch. And that has, I mean, they've had better offensive ratings, some of those KG teams. I mean, just what he was able to do by himself. Uh, they've never been higher, they've never been higher than sixth in the NBA in defensive rating in their entire existence. But um, they've had some really good teams. But this team's, uh, the exhilarating way that this team can, exert defense flex defense on an opponent is better than anything i've seen from the timberwolves in terms of spurts it's kind of like the way you regard anthony edwards career to date is the way i think you should look at the wolves defense this season i mean hmm. there are times when it's just you're just gleeful that you're seeing it it's just so much fun and then there are times where um it kind of falls apart and you think well it's falling apart because they don't have a lot of margin of error here they're you know not totally familiar they have some definite flaws um but you're forgiving of it in the long run because what keys this defense are some pretty fearless rugged hustle oriented guys and um and you you have a coach i think who knows how to use them and you have offensive players who are genuinely appreciating them and accommodating them into their own games and consequently getting motivated to play defense themselves, specifically D'Lo, who's become, in my opinion, the fourth best defensive player on the team, if not third, um, you know, which is just an absurd statement. I was, yeah, I don't know if I agree, but it is, it's, it's hard oh, uh, to totally argue with, like, because yeah. it, because it, ha I mean, well, it's certainly hard to to argue with the numbers. I, I think for me, when I just think about this, I, I was, I mean, Denver had like a bunch of stupid, like seemingly stupid turnovers, right? Where it's just like, and they had a lot of open threes in that first quarter. But I, I'm wondering if it is stupid because almost every team has these turnovers against the Wolves that lead to like a you know a Vando run out or an Ant run out, and I think. Part of the reason why I was a little bit slower to come around on, you know, respecting this team defensively is I was like, you know, through the first 10, 12 games of the year, I'm like, they're just getting so many cheap turnovers into points, fast break points, I guess. Right. And I was like, I think teams will eventually kind of suss that out a little bit. Like, you know, to do a football metaphor, like I figured they'd kind of like slow it down and run the ball a little bit more against the Wolves. Uh -huh. But every time these teams are passing the ball and the Wolves are getting pick sixes every game. And 
it's becoming something that doesn't seem like it should be sustainable at this volume. But now here we are, but 26 games into the year and the Wolves, even on their bad defensive nights, like they get five, six steals that turn into a layup on the other end. And there's just so much like number power in that, right? Like those are, those are great possessions. And right especially considering how much this team for the season as a whole has struggled offensively when they have to get down and really play half court offense, as you put in your piece, it's like this, that is what's bolstering this team offensively. I mean, they're still a bottom 10 offense, but they should be worse than that given how bad they are when they have to actually like run a set or run a pick and roll. I mean, they're not, that good at that but the last two games I think the Portland and Denver games they have been a lot better in the half court I don't have the specific numbers but um, that's actually really encouraging I think for the season because if they can be you know if they can be a above average offense in the half court here on you're going to have a pretty good team because I am starting to feel confident that they are going to sustain being an above average defense for the whole year right and it is a make or miss league. Um, and I do think that Ant and Delo will become more confident. And I think Cat is is a guarantee. I mean, the guy is a six sixty shooting true shooting percentage will be over sixty. Wow. Um and and that's <laughs> that's a hell of a foundation. I mean, you know, when you have a guy who can, you know get buckets from anywhere on the court and uh i loved how they used him last night i loved it he was so much fun and he actually the what makes jokic incredible is that the numbers he put up while being played perfectly by this team um <laughs> the way cat went at him and also the way they went at jokic jokic was continually having to uh you know, do his freelance thing of, you know, that, that one play where he did like seven deeks to put in that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it was just so much fun. This is Carl Anthony Towns here who's guarding you. You know, right. I mean, suddenly you're having to really pull, you know, go deep into your bag of tricks. And, uh, the, you know, that time where he just got frustrated when Cat blew by him and uh, and almost hit an end one on that uh, Cat's baseline drive. Cat- yeah. Yeah, that patented move where he goes left and shoots right, but mm-hmm. he's so quick that he gets at least the call, if not the bucket. Um, you know, I just think that uh, Jokic had a great game. He was appropriately keyed on at both ends of the court. Um, and uh, they still, you know, um, it, the Denver was necessarily stymied because Jokic had to do too much. Jokic could never not do things for that team if they were going to get any traction, uh, with the exception of Howard, which, you know, too bad. I, you know, he had pretty bad injury last night. It looked like mm-hmm. he went off in the first quarter or the second quarter or whenever right. there was a, that was the one time where they did not need Jokic to be MVP to stay competitive in that game. That's pretty cool. I mean, that, that that's good that the Wolves got that far along. So, but back to the idea of this offense and what they can do in the half court. Um, if Anthony Edwards does figure out 
Um, I love the way he went to the rim a few times. I love the way he went to the rim against Jokic and two others when they needed a bucket uh, when it was getting down close to single digits. Late in the game, and, yeah. And then I love the way after that, he just felt it from three. It, hey, if you're going to go nine for 10 for, for 16 or whatever it was from three. 10 you know, for 14, yeah. As somebody who has persistently criticized his shot selection, if you're feeling it and you prove that your feeling is accurate, who in the world doesn't want him to take those? What I loved is that it wasn't strictly a three-point show. He mixed in enough drives to the hoop to make it a really wonderful all-around performance. I mean, Lee hit that, I think it was early in the third quarter, he hit that double-team turnaround on the left block. Yep. That was an insanely difficult shot. <laughs> right. um, but at the same time, the right shot for him to make the shot clock was winding down. And uh, it, it just, I really enjoyed his shot selection last night. Easy to say when you make 10 threes. But I do think overall he had a really nice overall game. And I love the way that D'Lo didn't need to say, hey, I'm Mr. Crunch Time. I'm going to start doing my thing. He just said, hey, this guy is on fire, and I'm going to give him the ball. You know, let him take it up. I'll be a decoy. You do whatever you want. That's team chemistry, and that's the kind of thing that we really need to see from this team continually going forward at both ends of the court. They've developed uh, a really kind of team identity on defense, thanks to Pat Bev and now Vando, and on offense – I think the idea of um, not baton passing, not like, okay, you made eight points in this quarter and it's a new quarter. I need to get hot, but like, Hey, let's see if you can make 10 or 12. And when you don't give me the ball, you know, Uh, that kind of baton passing is fine uh, because great players get hot and you ride that hot hand. But I I do think that um, there were a lot of encouraging things to see from this two-game road stand. I think the Portland game was uh, a great, gritty win. I thought Pat Bev was absolutely crucial to that game. And I think that Cat uh, and Ant, obviously, were crucial, as well as, you know, the defense again in Denver. I, I want to – I think Ant's stat line is obviously going to pop there anytime there's there's 10 made threes. But I, I think for me what, what really stood out was – was cat. I want to take a quick break here and then talk specifically about the way in these last two games we've we've seen cat be utilized. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20by20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 
20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we're back here with Britt Robson of MinPost talking about this little two-game road trip that the Timberwolves won both of their games on. Um, as I was saying before the break, I was very intrigued by the way that not only how Cat played, but by the way that Chris Finch used Cat on the floor. Um, the way I kind of think about how Cat has been used over the past, what would be four years now, is you think about that 2017-18 team with Tibbs, and he was predominantly a post-up player. Obviously, there was some situ- I mean, he's still shooting 40% from three, but it wasn't a high volume of threes. He was a post-up player under Tibbs. And then you move into the 2018-19 season, and it's it's again that because the you have Jimmy there, at least for the beginning. It's it's sort of the Tibbs is going for the same identity. Um, but it really shifted how the Wolves used Cat once Ryan Saunders took over. And it was in this elbow extended area where he's it isn't even really a it isn't a post up anymore. They ran right. action for him at 18 feet to kind of operate from the mid range. And at that point, I think it's not a post up, it's an isolation play when he has the touch. And and really, if you look at at Cat's numbers, that stretch of the second half of the 2018-19 season, I mean, that was a dysfunctional year. The Wolves were bad. But individually, I think Cat's true shooting, that was his highest multiple month true shooting percentage of his career um, to, to close that season. And it was operating from the mid-range, running action from through the mid-range. That shifts in 2019-20 when Gerson Rosas takes over and they implement a five-out offense and now Cat's kind of the quarterback at the top of the key of this, you know, of this five out sort of look. And I think then last year when Cat was hurt, Saunders gets fired, Finch takes over. They were looking for an identity of, and still kind of are, of how they want to use Cat. I mean, Cat's going to still have his, he can really get his at any, any place. But I've always like kind of had that elbow extended mid-range area tabbed in my mind because Cat was so good there for that 2018-19 season. And I thought it was such a good place to go to him while guarded by Nikola Jokic um, in in last night's game. And I think we saw Cat make four mid-range shots. It's not only about shooting mid-range shots, right? but it's running offensive action for him at 19 feet where he's not looking to back down. He's going to catch there and square up look at it and see, all right. And Jokic, that is you... absolutely crucial. Not mm-hmm. backing down. Keep exactly. Going. Yeah. And I just, I think in my opinion, the two areas to focus on to maximize cap most and maximize your offense, your group is there with him at the elbow extended because you can get into some post-ups in that, in that spot. If you have an empty side, whatever, and the double's not going to be there easily. And then also the Rosas, the 2019-20 top of the key, as I talk to you about all the time. Like, I think there's more room for Cat to be taking just more top of the key threes just off the catch or if it's a pick and pop. I just think they've gone away from that mid-range, that elbow extended area to get Cat catches. And I think it is like it is with this defense. It's about a diversity of coverages defensively, and it's about a diversity of offense, offensive utility for this team. And I think we're going to see more of this from Cat going forward. And I think it's it's a way to help unlock some of this, you know, 
offensive half court struggles they've had get the offense back going because it's not just cat from there you can run actions through there you can find cutters through there you can it's and i'm a believer that cat can hit that mid-range shot at a 50 percent clip i really i really think he can if it's something he leans into I have a, a couple of reactions, and one you just covered at the very end, which is that the two places you reference, the elbow and the top of the key, are Cat's best assist places, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think that he loves to uh, he loves to see a cutter go, and the other thing about that, per Anthony Edwards's past criticism, is when he sees a cutter early in the possession, he goes quick. And then he feels so good about himself when he mm. when he polishes a really nice dime. Uh, it really helps the rest of his game um, because he's feeling good about. He always wants to be known as a great teammate, and uh, a showy assist is something that he, he'll start to look for those, and that that helps the team. Um, I think that the elbow is the best place for Vando. Um, when uh, not not for Vando to be, but if Cat's on the elbow and Vando's either, either side, a strong side baseline or weak side baseline, or in the weak side slot, all of those places are great for Vando cuts with Cat. And um, what's cool about that is Vando's always moving anyway to get rebounds, so people don't really know what he's up to sometimes. <laughs> totally, you, you know, I mean, they don't think, no, oh, this guy, this is a set play, he's going to make a cut and get a layup. And if that ever happens and they do start to respond to Vando movement on offense, that's exactly what we've been wanting. The reason Vando has kind of been less utilitarian on offense is because he doesn't create spacing. Well, if you can start to hit Vando more and more on cuts or run high pick and rolls with Delo, who is phenomenal at that pocket pick and roll, and Vando provided his hands, you know, uh, can handle that lower bounce pass, um, then there's a real, there's room for Vando who went three for three last night. And, you know, which is, I think is perfect stat line three for three, <laughs> all from two. I think that's, that's the Vando right. sweet spot. And, uh, you know, hopefully with four or five free throws thrown in, but that is definitely the place for cat. And the, the other reaction I want to make to what you said is you, you did mention a couple of times in his career when that's worked really well. The second half of his rookie year under Sam Mitchell also had that happen mm-hmm. where uh, Sam Mitchell just basically said, look, these kids aren't going to figure out defense and we should have some fun and win some games if we can. And he kind of, you know, let the team loose in terms of offense and, Cat just frolicked that year. I mean, that was when GMs began to say, hey, you know, you can build an entire franchise around this guy. Uh, And so I do think I, when, when Rosas began to run the uh, five out, five out thing, the only thing that I liked about it was the idea of maybe making Cat like a 32 usage guy and having him be Jokic from out there. I've begun to think that Cat um, just doesn't, I mean, who does? He doesn't have the pa- passing instincts of a Jokic. You know, uh, he, he's a good passer. He's not a foundational passer. He should not lead your team in assists. Um, 
because there'll be a lot of turnovers. Um, but that said, I think you can modify that and you can do exactly what you're talking about is put him, especially on that left elbow. I think it's much better than the right elbow for whatever reason. And I think that um, well, I, the, the reason is because now Vando, when he's cutting, is cutting and he's catching it and going left. I'm dead serious. <laughs> that is the right direction, right? Yeah, that that matters. <laughs> that matters a lot. Although I was watching some of his clips recently, you know, to do this column. And he's perfected the art of uh, the two-handed score underneath. Uh, let's and, and let's he, not say perfected. And, and, <laughs> and he'll contort his body to get that two-handed. There was one time, a couple, maybe it was even the Portland game, where he got the ball and did kind of reverse dunk with yeah. his two hands to order to get over to that that correct side of the, the hoop. So... You know, how about how about how often um, Vando was used in ball screen action in that Portland game? I know. Vando Dilo really just... helps him. Dilo really helps him in that way where, you know, you can a, a pick and roll emphasis on the roll is going to work a lot cleaner when it's Vando setting a screen for Dilo than it is for Ant. Ant kind of like Ant's either looking for his or he's trying to hit that quick pocket. And right. And to the Vando hands point, you know, that's a that's a harder catch in that right. situation. And, yeah, and last not, night we saw some turnovers by Ant doing that as well. Like and Ant and Vando were much better on drive and kick because mm-hmm. you know Ant gets three defenders when he drives, and nobody thinks Vando, you know, I don't care if it's a three-pointer. It was in that, you know, both of those ones that everybody talked about, the the made three from the corner and then the supposed up fake, which wasn't really even an up fake, but <laughs> your Nurkic is, is starting yeah. to, you know, go out there and he, he drives around him for a slam. Both of those came off and driving kicks. And so what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be behind the three point line. I mean, Vando had an 11 foot throat floater in that Portland game too. That was a D low assist. That was he also, cool. he also had an 11 foot air ball. I'm a little bit more into the corner thing. I, I see. I think, I think what should be going through Vando's head, it, his positioning should be specific to who, who that action is running through. You know, uh-huh. if it's, if it's cat to your point, I think you can raise up a little bit more on the weak side and look for that. you you go above the break, kind of looking for that cut or, you know, cat's probably going to, look for his shot in that situation. So if Ando raises up above the break, that's a he good angle rebound, for him right. to go for the offensive rebound. Now, if it's Ant, and and Ant's pretty deliberate in his, they take a while, his isolations, his pick and rolls. <laughs> yeah. So right. you have time, I think, of your Vando to go in your head, like, okay, this looks like an Ant situation. I'm going to remove myself from the dunker, and those are the times where I think you space to the corner. And, and I... I I really do think he should be taking one or two of those a game to, you know, to keep them honest. I think I don't think it will keep them honest. Well, I we yes, I think I, good coaches will say we'll live with it. We'll live with that shot. Mm-hmm. I think if he makes them, though, at 30 percent, which I don't know, um, I, uh-huh. I still think that's OK, because even last night, even last night, when, when they if you go through the possessions, if you watch the Wolves misses, those possessions were still possessions where the spacing got completely cocked by you know 
by the the Romer guy going off of Vando. It totally, when a possession goes bad, you can almost always point to the spacing got wrecked because the opposing team began to double focus on Cat, double focus on it, double you, focus on You know on who's Ant. been wrecking spacing lately is Beasley. It is yeah. really weird. I don't understand why he um, is finding himself more in the long mid-range territory, kind of lurking around. Maybe he's looking for rebounds or... Um, the five-out thing might have been better for him. Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't seem... Um, I see him in the way a lot. Um, yeah. And, and you know, a guy who's a catch-and-shoot guy should be divorcing himself from things. And uh, I think it's part of it is a smaller role, man, and he's just, like, trying to get his... He's chomping at the bit, right, right. You, right. you know? And, hey, hey, let me in, let me yeah, in. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, what, what he's best at and, and can be a lead at is that, like, that repositioning himself on the three-point line. I mean, he can be right. quick to, yep. you know... From kind of the top of the key to the edge of the above the break and, and repositioning in that in that sort of way. Like, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think he needs to focus more on just being a spot up guy. In the corners, too. The guy is yeah, still true. shooting well from the corner. And he always had since he came to this franchise, right? He's been money in the corners. And sometimes it's um you don't even have to have him be a catch and shoot guy. You can hit him on the run. It's still one of my favorite. It probably is the iconic or at least uh, for me, the signature Beasley play is that twisting three. Um, so I good, just yeah. love to watch it. I love to watch it. Yeah. Um, it's such a hard shot. I mean, have you ever played basketball oh, before? Like so the, the catching the ball in Believe a Believe me, sprint. I've never tried that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just next time you're out on uh, the court, like have somebody pass you the ball while you're running to the corner, catch it while you're running, and get I mean, that. That's, and he, he is very good at that. But, I mean, he's been a problem. I mean, he, he's, oh, he's really been a problem. Been a, it, it, and, and his defense uh, is beginning to feel like um, um, he's beginning to be back to uh, sweat per point saved, sweat droplets per point <laughs> saved. He sweats more for less effect than anybody on the team by a mile, with the possible exception of Nas. Well, what what I would always say, or last year with Malik and why I think his defense was costly was his goal was to end possessions, was to get a steal, right. was to tip the ball out of bounds, you know, was right. to get a block, and and particularly in last year's scheme, like that's not what it was about. It was about limiting the quality of the look, right? And so when it wasn't working and he wasn't ending possessions, he would so often get exposed. I think this year he came in with a good idea of how to play this scheme because he played it in Denver and he like, he had the institutional knowledge of it. And I thought I I've been saying all year, I thought he was from like an understanding the scheme standpoint, Beasley's been good, mm -hmm. but now as the shot hasn't been there, the role hasn't been that large. He's, he is going back to trying a little bit more desperation there, getting the steal, right. getting the block, right. you know, and, and it is a, you know, this scheme, as we were just talking about, asks you to generate a lot of turnovers and, and that sort of thing. But it kind of just asks a couple guys to do that. And it asks like two other guys to just be the low man, you know, just right, rotate right. effectively. And I think when Malik is out there, he's probably better at just being the rotation guy, you know, get mm -hmm. to the spot, come over, you know, be there, just be, be in the spot, 
let Ant jump the passing lane. Let McDaniels, when he's out there with you in the second unit, jump the passing lane. For Malik Beasley, like, solid is enough. <laughs> and this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, and, right. No, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that, I think that would, that would go a long way because and I think it, that's also true of Nas. I mean, in some ways, they're, they're not at all alike in some ways, but in other ways, yeah, yeah. Uh, they really, really want to be something that they're not sometimes. You know what right. I mean? Uh, and and to just you don't have to be above average in everything if you're slightly below average but not a, a gaping black hole then below average is not too shabby and right. um which you know I'm got Nas slander going on I actually thought he had a a, a really good game defensively on this trip yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that block was fun he's he's athletic He's he's yeah, he's athletic. Yeah. It's it's about it's about control for him defensively. Um, I want to take one more break, and then uh, the rotation has kind of changed since last time we, we talked on here. Got the starting lineup back. Want to kind of hone in on a few of those things. I talked to Finch about it a little bit yesterday. So one more break, and we'll be back with Britt. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back with Britt Robson of MinPost for our final segment of today's show. Britt, last night the Timberwolves had their full starting five back. Obviously, that has become this season. They've landed on it. It's the big three of Ant, D'Lo, and Cat with Jared Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly um, surrounding them as the fourth and fifth starters. That, eight and two. They're eight and two when when those guys play together. They also, last night, they, they shared the floor for 19 minutes, and in those 19 minutes, had a, outscored the Nuggets by 18 points, and that actually lowered their their net rating on the season. I mean, this is one of the craziest NBA stats, not Timberwolves, like NBA stats of the season, is that this now starting lineup for the Timberwolves has played 127 minutes together. They have an offensive rating of 138 and a defensive rating of 88. Um they, are they both the best? 
Are they the highest offensive rating and the lowest defensive rating of any five pairing? I know that their net rating is like 25 points better than anybody. Yeah, well, their their net rating is 49 points. This is of groups that have played played 100 minutes together. Right. Um, They played 127, um, and their net rating is plus 49.6. The offensive rating of 138 is the best of, what is this? I bet the defensive rating is too. Of the 38, and the defensive rating is the best. That wow, <laughs> they have the best offensive rating of five man units this year, and they have the best defensive rating of five man. Well, units. If you have forty nine points per hundred possessions, but, it's I mean, very we're, hard not, not we're not talking about a one. small sample anymore, man. I, I mean, I this is a this is a consistent. Hey, remember thing. when we were talking about whether or not uh, you could afford to have Ant, Cat, and Dilo on the floor because of how terrible the defense would be? And I don't think that analysis was inaccurate. I think I, I, know, I think I know. I think a lot has changed. I mean, and and well, first notably of all, credit, Vando and Beverly. Credit to Chris Finch for coming up with a scheme that, let's face it, was risky as hell. Uh, we you, were both you know, very, very on the record for that. This could have fallen apart at the very least. You were saying, and I agreed with you that. At best, it'll take a month or two for them to figure out, you know. Right. And and instead, I mean, Pat Bev is like, if there was an award for like a tone setter or something, you know, or culture changer or whatever you want to call we could, it. We could create a title. <laughs> I mean, the guy is just gold, you know, platinum in terms of what he has meant to the way this team looks at playing together, getting stops. Um, and Vando, remember when um, Vando wasn't even in the starting lineup and, and when he his net rating was in the toilet for like the first two weeks of the season. It was, yeah. I remember yeah. asking Finch, you know, you, you, you said that Vando contributes to winning in a lot of ways for this team. Why isn't that happening, you know? Um, I mean, I, that, that question happened like six or seven games into the season. Um, and then boom, you, you put Vando in that starting lineup. Well, I, I think, think he was looking for the D'Lo Vando pairing in a way. Cause the full you're, as you coined it, the full house lineup last year. Yes, that with, was great. The with four D'Lo. fours, three fours and one, two ones, right? Yes. Fours over yes. ones. Right? Fours over ones. Um, <laughs> And and I think that was I think actually that 15 games once D'Lo came back and came off the bench in the first 15 games right. informed a lot of how Chris Finch put together the rotations at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And and I think that was, you know, I think that was one of them was trying to get D'Lo out early so he's back in with the second unit, saw him have success. I think he thought he was going to play Jordan McLaughlin. Yes. So it's going to be the two ones there. And he also thought he was going to play McDaniel's mm. steady minutes. I mean, that is if there is a guy who um spit the bit on the on the blueprint, it was McDaniel's. And it was because he he doesn't have the size to not foul in the kind of defense they play against starting caliber personnel. I mean, I think that was pretty well proven. And so uh that is the other reason you have to kick McDaniels out of the starting lineup to get the five you have because the big three are going to play. And, and so it's either Beverly or Vando that gets kicked out if you have Jaden, you know? Right. So 
once that decision was made that Jade McDaniels does not belong as a starter on this roster right now, then the rest of it got easier. Because that's a big decision for Fitch, who loves Vando and compared him to a burgeoning Scotty Pippen. Which the loves McDaniel. You're talking about McDaniel's, yeah. Yeah. What, that, what did I yeah. say? Oh, sorry. Vando, yeah. yeah. Well, he likes Vando, but he loves McDaniel's. Well, it's burgeoning Scotty Pippen for McDaniel's and Dennis Rodman 2.0 for Vando. Which is <laughs> well, which in is some ways, it, cats Luke I mean, Longley. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the difference. Yeah, it's not so. But there is no Jordan. Even Ann is no Jordan. Last night, but yeah. Yeah. Last night, notwithstanding, I, I asked I asked Finch yesterday at uh, at shoot around about the about the net rating of of that starting group and was like, you know, what's the what's the temptation there to to lean into it further when you've had so much success right. because they do really break it up, you know, right? Because Delo Delo subs out six minutes into the first quarter every time, six minutes into the third quarter, like you don't really get an extended run of that five. It's good every time. Whenever it is out there, they're back together. Right, it's right. good every time, pretty much. Um, but it's kind of broken up. And, and so I kind of asked, I was like, you know, is that, you know, is not, are you doing that to kind of try and bolster your bench group and like play more guys? And he's like, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do to me here, Dan? You're saying I got to play the starting five more, but I also got to you know, also take care of it. And he's like, you know, this is really hard. He goes, this is really hard. He goes, you sit down and try and write out a map out a rotation. It, it's it's a really it's a really difficult thing to do. Not even to mention the you know foul trouble and those sort of things that come in. So it was. I think he knew I was I was talking talking about it more of like this is a complicated calculation, right? Of, right. Of how do you how do you lean into this great group because you also don't want it to be the other way where all right we're going to go hockey sub and put like you know the whole second unit out there, they're going to get cooked. You know, they're going to be terrible right. if you don't stagger D'Lo over there. So it is still an interesting calculation, though, where, man, how can you not look at these numbers of how successful the the starting five has been and not want to play them together, you know, Tib style, right? Like 25 minutes a game. It's been more like 15. And I do think maybe. one of the smart things about, you know, because we talked about, oh, should it be D'Lo or Ant? captaining that second unit um and now it seems like a no-brainer and one yeah, of the i was reasons, on hand i was on hand at the beginning of the year and it's clearly d'lo was the better choice there and a lot of it has to do with this whole student of the game thing which we used to think was kind of like cover your ass bullshit you know and at least i did let's say we i i thought that i thought that you know uh that might be the royal I, we too but <laughs> But again, could be. all of us in the kingdom have been proven incorrect. Well, just that I think that not only on defense where he's been a revelation, but on offense with that second unit, he does relish the mentor role, the sensei, the guy who is, uh, uh, is snuffing out inferior second units and their proclivities and knowing other team sets and kind of dissecting things and knowing when to take over with that unit. I mean, he unquestionably is the alpha out there rather than a co-alpha with two, you know, one guy has a, 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 a limitless ceiling and the other guy is perhaps the best shooting big man in NBA history. So, uh, Neither one of those guys are there 
Instead, he's got to deal with, you know, Beasley and Nas and McDaniels, you know, all. Noel, Bomaro, Akogi, it's a whole mission. They all have their needs. But at the end of the day, D'Lo gets to say, okay, it's time for me to do my cat and mouse thing and get some buckets. Or it's time for me to run a pick and roll and get so-and-so off. Or it's time for me to kick up the pace or slow down the pace. Um, He loves that coach on the floor role, and he doesn't have that same – there are lessons – and the ability to teach the lessons are a lot fewer in that first unit. And so That's a good point. I think it really helps him. I think it helps him mentally to say, all right, you know, it's kind of like the Covington role when he first came over uh, in that trade where yeah. that gold, golden time we both remember so fondly. It's great. <laughs> was, you know, when Rocco was with Cat going crazy and then Sarge would come on and he had the Philly reunion there and the second unit was – Mm. You know, hauling ass, and and he was so crucial to the defense on both of those uh, teams. D'Lo is crucial to the offense, and in some respects, the defense on both of those units. And uh, and again, just brilliant use by Finch. Um, you know, what's in interesting of- to me about uh, about D'Lo, and I would say, kind of in a way, getting to know D'Lo. Um, D'Lo doesn't talk to the media as much as Cat and Ant do. Um, and, and when he does, he doesn't pump himself up any much or a lot of times, I mean, if it's a loss, he's not going to, he's going to talk very little. Um, and what was kind of, I, I would, I would just, I mean, in full transparency, a little annoying in last year for me, for my job. And, and I've come to learn about him that that isn't his style of, of leader is is being the front facing talker and now over more time of years of covering him and a handful of different players it's really interesting talking to Jalen Noel uh yesterday at practice I tweeted out a couple of the the quotes from some questions had the chance to ask him and it's like he D'Lo leads those guys in their time together I think there's a lot of D'Lo one-on-one stuff with different guys, whether it's in practice or just like on the bus or just being like a leader by um, like a big brother, you know, not even a leader by example, but a leader by, I am better than you, you know, do like me. And I will, I want to show you how, how to do like me. And, and just from, I I remember Jaden McDaniels last year, D'Lo talked about Jaden McDaniels being like, this is a guy who can play. Ren was really early on, and we're all like, who's this string bean Gumby kid? You know, D'Lo saw it. D'Lo talked about it. Then Jaden McDaniels, once he does hit his groove, starts talking about the impact that D'Lo's had on him. And and it struck me again, talking to Jalen Noel, after D'Lo really praises Noel in his post-game press conference after the Portland game, to hear Noel someone we don't talk to often because he's buried on the end of the bench typically, be like, yeah, I mean, this is his third season he's played with D'Lo and the influence that he's had. He Actually, he said big brother. And I guess I just say that all to be like, yeah, I think we are getting to know D'Lo. And in the first two seasons he was here, there wasn't a lot of time and situation to do that. He comes after the trade deadline. It's what 12 or he plays 12 of the 14 games before the season shuts down. 
And then last year is just a disaster where he was, he didn't like his situation. He didn't like his coach. He didn't, you know, it was a bad situation. And you and it was like, COVID. Yeah, and he's it was. Not, he's not good on Zoom. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And it's just been, it's been a pleasant surprise to not necessarily to see him grow, but not as a leader, but to now understand that he is a leader. If that makes sense. Yeah, and understand how he is a leader. I mean, that's right. the thing. Um, one thing I do appreciate about D'Lo, even though it is frustrating as hell, is he doesn't like platitudes and um, he doesn't want pat capsules of things. You know, he doesn't want um, we we're we're really rolling now or whatever. You know, he likes to uh, go against the grain. He likes to say. We're getting better at losing, which was yeah. much mocked, you know. But there was w- the motivation behind that kind of thinking is let's not say everything is black and white. Let's look at the grays. The grays are showing us, you know. Now, obviously, does he occasionally go totally black and white, like by saying no team can beat us and we're the best in the world or whatever? He occasionally, you know, falls prey to that because he's excited. But I do think. He is somebody who wants he wants to intellectualize the game and he wants to have people understand that what seems easy isn't necessarily that easy and what seems hard isn't necessarily that hard. It's um, it's a process and it is an organic thing. And that's what he keeps on trying to get through. Mm. I think to us, but probably also to players, you know, in terms of, I think his influence on cat is beginning to come through. I think that's one of the reasons why, um, no, I mean, let's face it. They are the pair coming in. Can these two max guys, you know, resurrect their reputations as like two guys who went at the top of the draft and have since had a checkered career uh, mostly because they can't play defense, but also because they just everything somehow always seems to be funky uh, around them. Um, are they building blocks or are they baubles that need to be shunted off for something better or even not something better? Um, I think I think so- Britt, like a reason why I was always been or had been skeptical about the pairing and some of that and and specifically to the D'Lo part of it was like I felt again in those first two years that I saw give up from D'Lo mm-hmm. without a doubt and and I think it's and we our seats at at Target Center were right by D'Lo and when he's on the bench and I really I see the opposite of that I see the team mm-hmm. down 15 and not that he's the rah-rah guy or anything, but I don't get the sense that he's like, even when they're down by 15, where he's like, all right, like, this one's done. Like, let's get back to the locker room. Like, let's let's go home. And I think he had some of that label uh, coming into this year. And I just want to say, like, I want to credit the fact that I, I see the opposite of that from him. I feel he is he is constantly looking for ways to to get things back stable. Um, who like what can I do? What can I get others to do to to bring the game back close to end the losing streak to do this and that and and I think some of this like ankle soreness that's been a little bizarre like 
it kind of be like, oh man, is that the give up thing again? Um, because it kind of feels like the the knee stuff before something happened last year, and you're like, yeah, oh, and he kind of was like wasn't in on Saunders, whatever. But I just think, like, generally speaking, I think he really is so engaged in the season, D'Angelo Russell. And I mean, he's the one we kind of knew Ant was going to be like this, right? Like was going to have a season that's been kind of the way it has been for the ups and the downs. You knew Cat brought this stability. Really, the wild card was D'Angelo Russell. You know, what was he going to be? Who was he going to be? Who, right. How was he going to lead? And that's what I'm most impressed with. And and yeah. you can really only know that if you're watching the games, right? Because you look at it and it's I'm pretty sure it's still career low from two, career low from three. Some right, of those right. not right, like and you you right. read you read some of these other places talking about the wolves who aren't watching game in and game out, and you 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 see those things, you're like, okay, D'Angelo Russell is as they would say, still an inefficient shooter, this and that. It's like, well, you're you're missing the gray, right? You're missing the gray right, that's right. happening here. And in addition to the fact that his offense, it's not his best offensive season, even with all the good things he's bringing to the offense, because it's still a make or miss league and he's clanking a lot, but it is much better than the numbers on offense and the numbers on defense aren't lying. That's the, I mean, mm. I want a deal to be sub mediocre. I just didn't want him to suck on defense. He right now, I I maintain, uh, I would put the, the the best defenders on this team in order of Pat Bev, Vando, Okogie, and then D'Lo this year. I think he's been better than McDaniels because he doesn't foul. I also think the way they're being used are, are obviously a factor. If D'Lo had to guard the best perimeter guy or the only person Jaden had to guard – was the uh, consummate, you know, the the, the the wing player that most resembles him in some ways. Um, I think that we'd see great numbers out of Jaden and, and less great numbers out of D'Lo. But in the composition of this team, I think D'Lo is the fourth best defender in the context of this roster. I'll do my rankings without having maybe spent as much time thinking about it as you, but I think I could do sure. this off the top of my head. I agree with you. Pat Bev is the best. I think Cat has been the second best defender on the team this year. Interesting. I uh, it's a it's a good call. I would not put him up that high, but I think most people would have him like eighth or ninth, and I do think he's probably like fifth or sixth. I go Pat Bev, Cat, Vando. I I would still say McDaniel's. Um, on skill set, the fouling has for the season has been ridiculous. I thought. Quick aside, I thought that was Jane McDaniel's best defensive game of the maybe best two-way game of the season last night against Denver. Right. Um so I guess, you know, to I put him in D right sort of there. I guess which is at four. I think uh Akogi gets an incomplete because he doesn't play, <laughs> even though you want him to. Come on, man. It well I and by the way he can't I, play I, I man love... he can't he can't be in the rotation. I saw you tweeting about it. He if 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 you you can't this is what you can't do. You can't say that Jared Vanderbilt needs to be everything that he is playing 28 30 whatever minutes a game. There he you can't play Jared Vanderbilt and Josh Kogi together. That doesn't mean Josh Kogi There Akogi, is no reason why Vanderbilt 
I mean, why Okogi can't be the Vanderbilt of the second unit? There's no yeah. reason. I'm just saying that's the most. That is. I'm for it. Yeah. Okay. That, uh, so don't don't don't. Okay. Don't bogart his minutes with Jalen Noel's mediocre game. I mean, Jalen Noel. Is Finch, Finch fine. put it perfect. Finch put it perfect. They didn't need the offense last night, so they went with a Kogi. I'm I'm at that point with the Kogi. If if you if you're there, go ahead. Uh, certainly play a Kogi over Bomaro. I don't think Bomaro should play yeah. at all. Right. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah. But uh, what? And also over Torian Prince. But also. I'd play Torian Prince over Josh. I would. See, and that's a very, very fundamental difference between us. Um, because I think Okogi (laughs) Okogi is as good for this team's offensive rating as Torian Prince. I guarantee it. Yeah. He turns people over. He turns people over. And it not only that, but it keeps the identity of the team intact. You can't, you don't have to do this big Jerry rig. Okay. Here's the second unit. Uh, we're going to have to change our style of play. Plug Okogi into the that's turnover accurate. machine. That's that's accurate. I am just more concerned about the offense than I am about the defense. I well, think w- worry about Torian Prince's net rating because if that dude can't yeah. hit a three, he is useless on this team and take charges. I will give him that. The guy can take a charge and hit a three, but. If, if you take one charge every two games, you're in the top 20 in the NBA. So that isn't really a fantastic skill. And then when it comes to three I just believe shooting, in his shot. I just believe in his shot more than what the numbers have said thus far. And I certainly believe in his shot more than a Kogi's. But you're right. I mean, the, the, it's been 26 games and he hasn't he hasn't shot the he hasn't shot the ball well. He seems like a great guy in the locker room. He's a veteran. He's uh, and Josh is those a, things too. Josh is those things too. Yeah, I think that Okogi is. Um, I, he's not looked at with the respect that Prince has looked at. If, if I mean, you know, I'm looking at things. I don't really know what I'm talking about. It's just uh-huh. that we see these guys right in front of us a lot from where we sit, and you can kind of tell. Just you can tell who gets along with who and who hmm. commands. I mean, Torian Prince has an aura on this team. If Torian Prince and Cat are talking together, it is not a star talking to a bench scrub. It is a veteran who the star respects, probably leading the conversation. Right. Well, I, I think the I think there's a middle ground here, right? And it's and it's that sometimes Prince is going to get DNPs, and sometimes Akogi is going to get DNPs. Sometimes Noel is going to get DNPs, and. And that's what I wanted when I was on here talking to you about this 11-man rotation thing. I disagree with it. Um, what I wanted was, let's go nine. And 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 sometimes... Of 11 players, right. Nine of 11 players, right. And right. and now I think McLaughlin has worked his way out of that completely. Um, you know, you, you've, you don't need a third-point guard. Unless, I mean, would you rather have McLaughlin or Balmero? McLaughlin, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think you need to. I don't, I don't think you, you need to. That. I, well, I I think I think we're seeing a and, little bit more of Ant being okay at point guard, and I would play Noel over McLaughlin and Bomaro. If you if you feel the need, you have to play uh-huh, uh-huh. that. I, I, I get what you're coming. I mean, uh, and tell you for the sake of of not burning out Pat Bev, I'd be all for it. Yeah. Um, and I do. I I agree. I've lost patience with Balmero Could get scouted into just 
Um, I mean, he's an easy guy to scout, right? His his strengths and weaknesses. Right now, right now he is. Are, yeah, that, are, that's are, all I'm saying. Are, yeah, yeah. But I mean, right now you could you could find a way to just take Balmero out of any effectiveness just by knowing what he does well. Um, you know, run him Which into is... a few. Well, I mean, he he's a diligent defender who has size. Oh, I thought you were he, talking about an offense. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. He will give you problems if you run sets that are quasi ISO or are easy to recognize. If you run back picks or something on Bomero, weak side cuts that he's not ready for because of missed direction or something, um, slipping picks and rolls instead of setting the screen, turning. I mean, all the tricks of the trade that... That he's kid, learning right now. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, even you can even make his defense work against him, which is his strength. Right. Um, you know, you can you can you can hang him out to dry uh, in a variety of ways, just using his puppy dog enthusiasm right. against him. You know, and so he really isn't ready for the NBA right now as much as people would like him to be. Um, I think people so, are starting to see that some and seeing like yeah. some of the intrigue of like he probably is going to be able to guard in the league. Like he, he probably yeah, he's is. got size and he's yeah. got he he's got want to and he's got a a, a good NBA. But uh, to your Akogi point, like, size. why would you? Those are the same skill sets as Akogi. Akogi's better at all of them, so why wouldn't Much you just better. play play Akogi? Exactly. You know, and um, he's even a better yeah. shooter. How, how's that for? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Although perhaps not at the rim. It it is just a th- this third point on most teams. The third point guard isn't important. You, a lot of teams don't use it. You have to use a third. You have to have a third creator on this team because you start both of your point guards. So it is kind of, it is, uh, I know it, it doesn't seem like a lot of minutes, but it's this weird bridge that brings them to and from that starting lineup that they either have to have Bomaro, McLaughlin, or Noel out there or have Ant be the point guard in in the times when right. they're not out. Right. So so there, there's something important about it. I and And right now, if I'm right that it is important and they do need to give those minutes, I would give them to Jalen Noel. Not that that's a, a perfect answer right. either. And that, and, and to be clear, what we're talking about is across your fingers, four minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's really what we're talking about. It's just get through it. Well, and, and then also cross your toes that maybe it's going to be an 11 minute stretch where Noel plays Ooh. like he did in the Portland game. You know, it's rare. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Right. I just, yeah, there's I a mean, little bit more upside to that one too. I, it remains to be seen whether Jalen Noel can give you three straight non-crunch time, I mean non-garbage time uh, mm. games of competence. Uh, my Jalen Noel attraction is very similar to my Nas Reed attraction, where I see ball skills. Totally makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like a compliment. Uh, no, but I do think it's really important with this team – to have perimeter creation. Mm-hmm. And and that's I know why, what you mean. Right, and that right. that's why I did like J Mac and why I kind of like, well, you know, maybe that's an option too. But and Jalen Noel can get his own shot. I mean, that's, what I'm and that's about. not that's not nothing in the NBA. You're right. I mean, and he's got like a crossover six... dribble, he's got a stutter step, and he's got a he's got a sense of the court. He's not a dumb guy. Um all just, those things the are killer for him, man, is is gonna is I do think and, it, it, and speed. I was thinking about it yesterday when we were in, at the game interviewing him face to 
face, Chris and I, and and he's just talking about how, you know, like defense is the path to get there. And I'm literally standing next to him, looking at my, and I'm the, I might be taller than him. Or, you know, we're like the same size. Right, I'm like, right. that's just not, that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough and to guard. your competition there is Joshua Kogi. <laughs> Who's going to, yeah, right, right. So I, I don't know. I, I, I again, I've thought this for two years with this. I think the rotation thing is fascinating with this this team because I think it makes a big difference. And Mm -hmm. it's only becoming more apparent with how good this starting five has been from a production standpoint, where you gotta you gotta find your way back to that more and more, which means there's an added importance on the depth, which leads to a whole nother conversation about adding another guy or two at the deadline. I think that's that's incentive to be a buyer. You know, right. You could answer a couple of these Prince versus a Kogi questions, Bomaro versus Noel questions with just getting a guy who can play like that. You feel more confident, you know, could give you those 15 minutes consistently. Um, I don't know. It's going to be, I think it needs to be addressed. And I do think Finch is doing a good job of figuring out the rotations on the fly because it's not a puzzle that they have all the pieces to. And I love the fact that he doesn't, script 48 minutes i mean the guy is he told me to but he's not (laughs) (laughs) well i mean put it this way he'll tear up the script that's right he was not supposed to play last night i'm sure and i love that he does that i love that i love that too you Mm -hmm. know yeah because it doesn't feel like I mean, there was a time when Ryan Saunders was, you know, riding the little dang and all the sudden stuff. We we're going, Cam ah, Reynolds. He, he's a savant, you know, in terms of yeah. uh, a rotational guy. But you, you occasionally it seemed like um, it was it, it began to be like novelty picks, you know, like a, a guy on, on a betting uh, site who's beginning to, <laughs> you know, drink, drink his own Kool-Aid in terms of. Uh, right being able to uh, see ahead of time. Whereas Finch is more reactive when he departs from the script. Right. And I think that's that's the way to go if you're going to depart from the script because the script is telling you that you need a new storyline right now. Right. Do we miss on miss anything? Probably, but I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> I think I, I think it's <laughs> we got next week. We do. We do. Got uh, the I Lakers. I mean, a lot of people want us to talk about December 15th, but you know me and scenarios. I'm not a big scenario guy. Um, well, yeah, we'll get there. I mean, yeah, trade conversation is something that will start. Um, but I think it's one of those things where it's just starting amongst the GMs and executives around the league, which means we're still probably a ways away from any action or anything actually being actionable. And and quite honestly, I mean, you know, I, I like that stuff, but I'm really enjoying basketball this year. I am too. I'm enjoying the entire NBA. The whole thing is in a blender. It yeah. is so much fun. I mean, there's so the many bad blender variable that is COVID, but it is also contributing to the blend. The How many teams are within four games either way of 500? Right. I mean, it just is so much fun. And all these teams um, feel like like the Wolves do. Like, it's pretty crucial that they wind up on the right side of that. Right, right. It will kind and, of determine the future of those franchises or where they're going to go in the coming years. And the Eastern Conference, for the first time in my memory, 
is the stronger conference. I'm convinced of it now. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to at that for sure. The top six teams yeah. in the East are all really good, and mm. they would all be in the playoffs without a play-in in the West. I think. Well, the the other side of that, when the West was the dominant one, and the annoyance I think for Timberwolves fans was it made it so hard to get an eight seed. Exactly. Now we have the benefit of the other one. <laughs> right? Now it's like man, this they, team they would should. not be close to the playoffs right. in the East. I mean, that's been proven already. They got right. whacked by Cleveland and Atlanta, right. and Brooklyn. You know, beat them. Washington beat them, um, and. You know, that doesn't even talk about Milwaukee. I mean, about Brooklyn and uh, Boston and, you know, I mean, yeah. Philadelphia. I mean, look, mm-hmm. it just, you go on and on. Charlotte, when Ball is healthy, mm-hmm. even when he's not, you know, it's just, it's a, uh, it's great because on League Pass, most of those teams, because they're in the Eastern Conference, you, you know, you see the East at six o'clock. Right. And so, you know, if it's going to be Charlotte versus Atlanta four years ago, you know, <laughs> oh, big, you know, big wolf, you know, might eat dinner with your family. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. You guys can all read uh, Britt's column on, on Jared Vanderbilt that I think Britt, it was, I liked it. It was really well done. Um, I think it's just, uh, it's fascinating how Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt have made the big three work when we did have so many questions and you know, still do like let's not you know right, let's not right. get, let's not get carried away. Right. They're you know. thirteen and fifteen, right? Yeah, they're thirteen and fifteen. You know, it was the first Damian Lillard game. Um, you know, obviously the Nuggets weren't. Although full they did spit the bit last night against Memphis, oh, oh, they yeah. had a big lead. And they blew it. Yeah, yeah game was six for twenty-one. Oof. Yeah, he doesn't look himself. But no. uh, yeah, that be, which goes back to like this is all fascinating around the league. I don't know how the standings are going to wind up. Memphis is nine and one without job. Your favorite team. I, well, I don't know this year. Well, I now it's the Timberwolves. Your favorite team and, is the Timberwolves. You're probably right. And Cleveland <laughs> is right up there. I mean, Cleveland uh, is so much don't, fun. Don't right steal now. my calves. I, I <laughs> dibs them. Like I, I texted you like the second day of the season. I'm like, this is going to be my team this year. No, it's I'm, I'm having, I'm having a blast with it too. And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where the wolves stack up. And I'm just, again, grateful that we're talking about the basketball of how they stand up. And it's not all conversations of what's Jaden McDaniels going to be in the future. Is Jordan McLaughlin a piece? Like right. who should they trade for there? You know, there's a time and place for all yeah, those. We're but- making statements now. We're making statements because things are becoming apparent. And mm-hmm. what that means is hope is not polluting, you know, decision-making and judgment right, right now. Um, yeah, we have hope that Anthony Edwards will become better than he is. But what he is right now is a commodity that we can factor in pretty reliably to what we have. Sure. You know? um, we couldn't say that a year ago at this time. Right. Um, has totally changed his factor rating, you know, but it also feels it doesn't feel fanciful. If Delo went back to the old Delo. I'd be shocked right now. Yeah. And I would I would really hate him then because right. you know then then it would be like <laughs> give me a break man, you know. Right. But um, any, anyway. No, the the one other thing I wanted to mention before we go is that on Tuesday, it's right around the corner, we're going to both be at Forgotten Star Brewery just watching that uh that Mavs game for anyone who wants to come out. I mean, it is shaping up to be a spot where you know the Wolves have won two in a row, Lakers aren't exactly hot. 
on Friday. And Luca's but, out for both of those games. I yeah, think. so it not could on be on the road trip. Oh, so it, he may play when they get back to he, Dallas. Yeah, so so maybe, but it could be a four game winning streak going into that. It could I mean, be rusty, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But again, Britt and I will be at Forgotten Star Brewery on December twenty first, which is this coming Tuesday. Um, I think it's a six thirty p.m. start. Be there a little bit before then, but we're not going to be doing like a live show or anything. We're just going to be we're just going to be watching the game and getting together with people kind of right before the holidays. So come out to that, Britt. Thank you for doing the pod. Read Britt's article at Min Post and. Uh, well, I guess that's the next time we'll talk. Well, I'll see you tomorrow night at the game, and then we'll uh, we'll chat with you guys all at, uh, at Forgotten Star. Thanks for doing it, Britt. Sure. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.